welcome everybody that's joined us wherever you're at in the country or around the globe. Uh, all of you that will get this podcast, all of you that are in the building tonight. And we welcome the home of the world's greatest or best vanilla extract. We welcome Madagascar tonight. Let's make them welcome. Amen. Yeah, and it's not cheap if you buy vanilla extract from Madagascar. <laughs> You'll say it on the bottle, you know, around here that it come from there. They, I think they lay their claim to that. Kentucky is moonshine and Madagascar is vanilla extract. So go figure. Give you just a little lighthearted moment because it's going to not be lighthearted in just a moment. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this moment. We thank you for... Your Holy Spirit, who doesn't leave us in the dark, but, try, but keeps us, shows us things to come, and fills our mouths, reproves us, convicts us, and brings us into fellowship with you. Lord, give me the tongue of the learned tonight as I share these things that you've dropped in on me in the last two days. We praise you and we give you glory and honor. In Jesus' name. So I'm going to put something up here for you to remember. And then everything I'm saying to you is going to be prophetic for the next few minutes. Not prophecy. Prophetic for us. I'm going to use some scripture, but it's for us. Teshuvah is something I brought up last week. It means to return to the Lord, which requires repentance. The Feast of Trumpets starts on September the 25th. 30 days before that, kicked off Teshuvah. So Israel was called to return to the Lord during this season. And then from the first day of Feast of Trumpets, which falls on parts of three days on our calendar, to Yom Kippur is another ten days from the very first day, which is called the Days of Awe. It's the final few days for Israel to get right with God. If they don't, they'll have to wait another whole year. So, <clears throat> the Lord gave me a few words to share with you all. Some of them are Scripture. I didn't even think about this, didn't plan it, but it looks like we're going to get through with the book of Hosea, which we'll try to get to tonight as well. We're in chapter 8. Hosea is a word for America. We've already been seeing that. It looks like Hosea will probably finish Hosea right around the day of Yom Kippur. I believe God is doing this with America we have a season here and the Lord spoke something to me about this country today when I was he said I'm not going to plow any longer the ground's been turned enough now I, that hit me funny because I would have never said something that way that's what happened with Israel. And you're going to see that with Hosea. God started judging. 
Now, if you'll remember, a few months ago, I preached on a lot out of the book of Amos. And we found with the book of Amos, because there's been a dichotomy between preachers and, and positions over the years where we struggle with judgment and the falling away that Paul tells us about in Thessalonians. And also Paul, uh, the, uh, the book of Acts talks about this great harvest, or re- we call it revival. I would say to you that revival is <laughs> probably a better term is harvest because revival is for believers. You can't be revived unless you've been vived. We should be reaping the harvest all the time, and many of you are. We've seen that with all the baptisms. Amos illustrates to us that both can be going on at the same time. That there can be judgment and revival at the same time. When I grew up, and most of you maybe, if you grew up in churches that were inclined to get in prophecy, not all churches are inclined to that, although a third of your Bible is prophecy. So they're leaving off a third of the whole Word of God if they stay away from prophetic things. When you see Amos, the nation of Israel was being judged, but yet where Josiah and some of those guys were at, they were having revival. And that's what we've seen. I believe America's not turning back to God as a nation, but I believe we're going to see pockets of revival. And we saw that with the book of Amos. Who prophesied from the south, a sheep herder, a fig guy, and also into the north. Hosea is the only prophet from the north that wrote anything. All the other prophets were from the southern part of Israel. He's the only one that wrote Scripture. But he prophesied to the north and to the south. He was warning the south that they need to be paying attention to what God's doing in the north. Or they're going to get it too. And that was when the tribes were separated with Rehoboam and Jeroboam after Solomon. So we had two kingdoms basically, divided Israel. And exactly what Hosea was trying to get Judah and the southern tribes to avoid, they fell into just 200 years later and they were judged. Now, if God's going to judge His chosen people that way, the rest of the world's going to get it too. If He'll do His own chosen people that way, we're all going to find judgment. So, when the Lord spoke that to me, He reminded me of three passages of Scripture. Um, When He said, I'm not... I will not be plowing anymore in America. The ground's been turned enough. Let me show you the first thing that the Holy Spirit gave me before He gave me that word. Then the next two things I'm going to show you, He reminded me of after I got that word. Now you remember, in 2020... I got in this pulpit, we wrote it down, we keep all those prophets, and I share with you what the Lord spoke to me in my truck. I had no idea what was coming. None of us did. But he said, I, illness is coming, but I'll be working in the midst of it. 
Remember that word we got? First thing, I wouldn't have called it illness. You know, I know when God's talking because He uses words I don't normally use and He uses a lot fewer words to get His point across than I would. So we saw that, right? We've been seeing that. Illness did come. That word came in January of 2020, I believe. Or February, I believe it was January. I went home, shared it with my wife, first thing. And I was just, you know, the first thing you think when you hear a word like that is he talking to me specifically? Is he talking to us about a family member? Are we going to deal with something? You know, you have, and one of the things I've taught you all, and I hope you listen, do not finish God's sentences. If he gives you a half a sentence, he'll come back and finish it. That's when we get in trouble. God said, go. But he didn't say where yet, right? We talked about this this morning in one of our Bible studies. How important is it to hear God the second time? What if Abraham had only heard God the first time? When he said, slay your son as a sacrifice. What if he hadn't heard God the second time? When he said, don't do it. So it's important for you and I to continue to hear from God. You need to hear to God, from God today because you don't have any promise of tomorrow. God is pretty good about giving instructions and not throwing a bunch of stuff in front of us. He's already done that with His Word. But He wants you to be with Him every day. So God don't give us a whole lot of things down the road. He gives us to Him day to day because none of us own tomorrow. So He may be taking me home tonight, so I may not need any instruction for tomorrow. I can tell you, a few weeks in my year, there's just a few things on my calendar some weeks. Just a handful. But a lot of times by the end of the week, there's been 15 or 20. Because I try to get up every day seeking the will of the Lord. What do you, who, do you want, who are you bringing? And sometimes He don't say anything. He just orchestrates circumstances and you know that He's done that. And somebody walks right into your life or situation... So the first thing, he, uh, this is what God said, took me first, and then He gave me that word, and then He gave me some other passages. In, in Romans chapter 13, let's go to verse 11. This is a word to us now. Romans 13 and 11. I really believe God wants us to take heed to this. And I know that my mouth is going out around the world now, I think, we know of almost 50 countries that are participating with us in ministry and, and 47 states or 48. So I know this is not just a word for this church. I'm saying this to everybody that hears my voice. This is a word to all those who name the name of Christ. The Lord said, no more plowing, the ground has been turned enough. Now, it says, and do this knowing that the, knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, this is a word to all of us. I want you to hear this. This is Teshuva, the time to return. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in reverie and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, 
not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. That's what God's saying to His people. I believe He's calling us to revisit this word here in Romans. And when you think about this is the challenge. It's a challenge for this culture. People aren't raised on farms with two miles between them and the next house. People aren't raised in hollers like I would, if you can believe this, with no cable. I was raised with no cable and a party line. Remember what a party line is? The only thing we didn't do is do like Green Acres, go out and climb the pole to talk to somebody. Some of you did that, though, we know. Because you're that old. (laughs) Just kidding. So, we don't live like that anymore. We don't have to wait, oh, two weeks from now to hear some kind of news, right? It's right here, right now. All the challenges. You used to wait for the Sears catalog to come, or the Montgomery Ward catalog, and then you had to deal with all the the uh, desires of your children when they saw all that, right? Now they see it, and then you used it later in the outhouse, right? I mean, that's how things work back then. Now they see those advertisements right off the bat, you know. They're trying to attract people from a billboard to social media to television, all those kinds of things. We live in a different world. So the lust of the flesh to get in with the world and to pursue the same things they do and to try and get our joy, which is not going to happen, from those things. It's just not going to happen. And God's cautioning us here. The Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul is saying, the night is spent, we're right there, let us walk properly as in the day, not in drunkenness, lewdness, and lust, and striving, but put on the Lord Jesus and make no provision for the flesh. If we make provision for the flesh, we will hurt our spiritual walk. And we'll always be having to punt instead of advancing the ball. Now the second, after that, he gave me that word. He said, no more plowing here in America. The fields have been turned enough. The ground's been turned enough. Then I'm going to take you to Isaiah chapter 1, and I think you're going to understand what the Lord was saying there when He gave me that word. He said, no more plowing, the ground's been turned enough. And we'll write these things down. So that he that readeth, like Habakkuk said, when God shares something with us, just like this prophetic word we got in September the 26th, 2020, which I hope all of you have, and this has actually went around the country now because it's getting shared I believe that it's coming to pass soon. In Isaiah chapter 1, the Lord said something to Israel. This is a word to us here in this country, just like we've been studying the book of Hosea. Because we, were, we are the nation in the history of the world that's the closest to being as blessed as Israel was. No other nation comes close to being as blessed as Israel, except for the one we live in. God has been so good to us. So good to this nation. And so Israel was going astray. Isaiah was calling them back. Hosea, all of them. Ezekiel 
Finally, when God, and that's the next place we're going to go, when God raised up Ezekiel, He said, they can't turn back now. They went too far. They, quote unquote, they went past the Day of Atonement. And God said, I don't care if Noah was here, Daniel was here, and he maybe threw Joe in there, or the guys he threw in there. He said, they could repent, and I still am going to judge this nation. And he said to Israel, he said, you need to stay where you're at, and I'm going to judge you if you flee to Egypt, or if you go here and there. He said, I will find you and kill you. He said, the only way you can survive is to stay here and, and submit to my punishment. And his punishment was to turn them over to Babylon. And Babylon, they were allowed to raise their families. They had a normal, somewhat of a normal life in the physical realm. They had vineyards and all that. They were moved out of their homeland and couldn't go to the place where God ordained for them to meet with Him. But they did not die. God said, you submit to my punishment, you'll live, you'll be able to raise your children. If you run and try to hide, I will find you and kill you. Now Isaiah... And he talks like that again in Hosea, and we'll see that in just a minute. Hear, O heavens, verse 2. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, earth, for the Lord has spoken. And listen to what he says about his people. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not consider. Alas, a sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a brood of evildoers. Children who are corruptors, they have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked to anger the Holy One of Israel. And they have turned away backward. You should be strict. What, now, here's where you're going to understand the word God gave me just now, the, today. Why should you be stricken again? You will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick. And the whole heart faints. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it. But wounds, bruises, and putrefying sores, they have not been closed up or bound or soothed with ointment. Your country is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. We've seen some of that, haven't we? Strangers devour your land in your presence. Do you, it would shock us if we knew how much land China owned in America now. And it is desolate as overthrown by strangers. So the danger of Zion is left as a booth in a vineyard and a hut garden of cucumbers as a besieged city. Unless the Lord of hosts had left to us a very small remnant, we would have become like Sodom and we would have been made like Gomorrah. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. That's what he's calling his people. Similar language Jesus used when he talked to the Pharisees. He said, you're a, you're a grave. You're a sepulcher. You have dead men's bones in you. Give ear to the law of the Lord, you people of Gomorrah. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me, says the Lord. What good does it do to mention God in a speech if you do everything against Him all week long? I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and fed, fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or goats, lamb, lambs or goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? 
Bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons and Sabbaths, the callings of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity in the sacred meeting. Your new moons, your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They are a trouble to me. I am weary of bearing them. You, when you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Seventy plus million babies we've killed in this country alone. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings. Teshuvah. Return. If, you'll, if you go through and read the book of Isaiah, notice how many times God says, if you'll return, I'll stop the judgment. But when he got to Ezekiel, he said, no matter if they return now or not, they're going to be judged. He says, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, put away the evil doings from before my eyes. Stop doing stuff that's wrong and cease to do evil. Learn to do good, seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. That's two things we will always do in this church. If we do nothing else, we will go keep working in these orphanages and keep helping the widows and keep supporting Israel. Those three things are commanded to the church. And any church that's not doing all three of those things is partially out of the will of God. We don't know every course God has. He speaks, but those three things are spelled out clearly in the scripture. Everybody that's going to follow the Lord should be taking care of the widows, the orphans, and blessing Israel. If you don't bless Israel, you're cursed. And we need to stand and keep doing what we're doing. We know beyond a shadow of a doubt, one of the reasons we're so blessed here is because of blessing Israel and taking care of orphans. We're involved in three orphanages now, heavy involved in those things, uh, financially in every way. We know those are direct commands from God. Then he goes on to say, he says, Come now, let us reason together. Though your sins be like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. And then he goes on to continue talking about them being unfaithful. Now, in our world, we have a movement that... And let me just... Well, let me say this and then I'll say something else I want to say. Uh, we have a movement, of a, group, a big movement all over the world, it's not just here in America, of people who think they're saving the world. And, and they really believe that. They really believe they're saving the world. So they're, I understand they don't understand Scripture, they don't go along with Scripture. We should, Christians, let me, and I'm going to preface this with this, we should be the best stewards in the world. We should not litter. We should take care of our resources, and we should thank God for them. He's the one that put oil and gas and coal and water and everything else in the ground. Diamonds, God's the one done all that. We should thank Him. But this world cannot be saved physically. If you read the Bible, this world is going to be destroyed. He's going to blow it up His way. He's going to destroy it with fire. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. So as Christians... Understand, this has become a religion for people, but they're blind. They've not read the end of the book. And again, I say to you Christians, we ought to be the best examples of taking care of what God has blessed us with of anybody else in the universe. We should be the front runners in that. 
But that's not how the world's going to end. And I like what one guy said to us one day when we were in the mines years ago. He said, we can't destroy the earth because we don't own it. It don't belong to us. God's going to destroy the earth. So if the earth's going to be destroyed, and the things that we see now, even this church, everything we're doing to add on, (laughs) I get it. It's going to be burned to the ground. All those new tuba sixes out there, they're going to be burned to the ground. I understand that. We're just passing through, right? Here's what I want you to hear. I'm going to share this out of Ezekiel chapter 3 with you. Ezekiel chapter 3. Some of you know what's being said here. And I'm getting ready to make a change in my own personal life. Ezekiel chapter 3 verse 16. I believe that I am called to be a watchman. I believe that because God gave me a heart for prophetic things years ago. I've been studying Revelation and stuff since I was a teenager. I got a word from God. My mother actually got the word from God that she never shared with me. In a campground, somebody gave her a word from God about me when I was probably three or four years old. She never told it to me until she heard me say, God called me. Because she didn't want to influence me. Right? Which is a beautiful thing. You don't want no mommy and daddy called preachers. You don't want none of that. And I don't want to be one. You've heard me say this before. I wouldn't touch this pulpit with a 10-foot pole if God hadn't given me a mantle for it. I'd be doing something else. Now it came to pass at the end of seven days that the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore, hear a word from my mouth and give them warning from me. And I'm challenging you right now to change the way you're witnessing the people if you're not already doing this. Quit just inviting them to church. We need to start proclaiming that the Lord is coming soon. He is coming soon. We need to tell them God's plan for the world, what's going to be happening so that they can understand there is some finality to what they see now. That's one of the greatest deceptions that the enemy has put on people. They're caught up, what Paul warned us against in Romans 13, they are caught up about in this world. And we have to guard against it too. Do you realize, hold your spot there, and run to Luke chapter 21. This is probably my favorite passage about the end of time in the whole Bible because it's Jesus talking. And then Luke 21, this is the only time that we hear Jesus alluding to the rapture of the church. And that's why when you go to Corinthians chapter 15, you find Paul saying, Behold, I show you a mystery. God left, Jesus alluded to the rapture here, but He didn't unfold it. He left that to Paul. Why? Because primarily the rapture of the church is going to be Gentiles. Primarily, not exclusively. There's only two classes of people from God's perspective, Jews and Gentiles, right? And so primarily because Paul turned and he was the apostle to the Gentiles, he unfolded the rapture because the rapture is primarily going to be for Gentile believers because the seven years of tribulation is designed to call Israel back to him to have their eyes open and to return and realize that Jesus is the Messiah. 
So that's why Jesus didn't break down the rapture. He came. Why did He come? He came for the lost house of Israel. He was here seeking them out. God later raised up Paul, who was a Jew himself, of the tribe of Benjamin, right? And he, he was a Jew of all Jews, above all Jews. He was a Jew to the max. He had an encounter with the Holy Spirit on the way to Damascus, had his life changed, laid his life down, and then God started helping him uh, Control, control is not the right word, but establish and build the Gentile church and give it its foundation. So in, in Luke 21, but here's what I want to show you. Jesus is warning us in Luke 21 of the same thing the Holy Spirit warned us through in Paul in Romans 13. He says, uh, after he gives us a lot of the signs of the end of time, he says, verse 34, Take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, uh, a generic word for that in our language would be partying. Drunkenness, which would be anything that takes you out of your state of being. So there's all kinds of ways of doing that, from pills to whatever, moonshine. And he says, uh, "Don't uh, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness. And here's the other one, cares of this life. Look, he says, for it will come, he says, and that that day come upon you, unexpectedly. That's what Paul's basically warning us about in Romans 13. We are in the end of time. If, if, I could, if you all can let me take you back, right, to, and I'm going to put this in, in uh, Gentile form, but ground zero's Adam, Adam. Now, I'm not here to argue what all went on before Adam. I'm just here to argue God's always been God. But these people that try to date back past Adam, or Adam as we call him, they, there's no way to date eternity. Time was given to man. God lives outside of the realm of time. I'm just going to have to do the whole thing. So, where's all my markers? All 12 of them are up here. I take them with me. So God lives outside of time. Now, we don't know the reason God can tell us things before they happen is because He can see around the whole circle. So somewhere He created Adam, and before He created Adam, He created the first few days, the earth, and He instituted time, revolutions. God lives outside of revolutions. There's no night in heaven. So he, don't ha he lives outside of revolution. So for these people that want to go back past Adam and try and date things, whatever they're trying to do, you cannot date eternity. There's no revolutions in eternity. So God can make, He can create an animal full grown. So there are no revolutions for God. He lives outside. So God can see all the way around the circle. That's why He can say, this is going to happen out here, even though we're here. We're, we're at... Help me here, Lord. Uh, I'm getting excited, too, when I think about this stuff. So you've got Adam, Adam, right, at zero. And then you come out, you've got... The flood, and you've got Abraham somewhere around 2,000 years being expired. And then now here you've got the cross, 4,000 years, right? And then over here, we're living. So if, I'm going to put it in our days. I'm not going to. Mon Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursdays when the cross happened. 
at, at the end of Thursday or quote-unquote Friday morning. So all these apostles and Jesus were here on Thursday night or Friday morning early based on a thousand years being a day and a day is a thousand years and God does all His prophetic stuff with the number seven, right? Because it means completion, right? And so we know that that last thousand years is a time of rest. So when Paul's writing, he's writing on Friday morning. We're living on Saturday night. It's been somewhere around 2,000 years. We know that last thousand years is a time of rest. It's the, we call the millennial kingdom. We'll be getting into all that this fall. So we're, Jesus, after the fourth day, Jesus showed up on Friday morning with His apostles, with His disciples, and they're writing to us. They're giving us instruction. Why? Because there's only less than two days left, quote-unquote. What we call the time of the Gentiles. And just before this passage I'm reading to you from Luke, Jesus said when the time of the Gentiles is up and they no longer have control of Jerusalem, know that this generation will not pass till everything's done. That happened in 1967. So that's why I have this hourglass because I believe we're living in the last days without a doubt. I believe there's a good chance that many of us can be alive when the Lord's going to return if we live normal lives. The, the hourglass turned over, not in 1948. 1948 had to happen, no question about that. They had to go back to their homeland. But 1967, if you'll notice, 90% of the prophecy that you read is about the city. Because it's the city of our God. It's the only name, it's the only city that He put His name on. He didn't put His name on Lexington. He didn't put His name on Paris. He didn't put His name on Washington, D.C. He only put His name on Jerusalem. And there's going to be a new Jerusalem as well coming down from the earth and suspended when it's all over. So the countdown has begun. The countdown has begun. We are running out of time. So you need to make sure that part of your witnessing is telling people we're running out of time. We're there. We're waiting on the Lord's return. God knows it all. That's why when you get in the book of Revelation, the Bible said Jesus was slain before the foundation of the world. Why would, that happen? Why would He say that? Because He really wasn't slain until a little over 4,000 years into the history of man. Because God don't live in revolutions. He lives in eternity. He don't wait for the sun to come up. He throws it out down here for us. And so God don't age. He's, he's the Ancient of Days. He never gets old, quote unquote. He lives outside of the realm of time. We're confined to time, and God is not. It's more, and I use, I've said this a lot, when Mount St. Helens erupted in the 80s, I've got some ash from that. Somebody brought me back in those times, and, and they realized that uh, they thought rocks represented, you know, uh, a year each layer, but they realized that thousands of rock layers were formed in a matter of hours after that. And so that kind of shot some. That's not really the issue. The issue is that they're missing because they're blind. If you read Peter, he said people don't want to honor God. They don't want to believe the truth. They'd rather believe a lie. The reason is God exists outside of time. He don't wear a watch. He don't need a watch. The Bible says He neither sleeps nor slumbers. God don't take naps. When you read about God resting on the Sabbath, you know what that word means? It means He ceased from His labor. But if you can speak things into existence, you're not going to get very tired, as we say in Kentucky. Or if you've got better English, tired. But when you're really bad, it's tarred. 
Can you, how many can agree with me on that? When you're really out, it's, you're tired. But most of the time, we're tired. And so, God, He is the omnipotent. He is the Almighty. We don't have a subtle God. We have a great big God who can make a fish swim and swallow one of His men and spit him out at the right place. We have a great God who can sit on a donkey that's never been broken or ridden, but the donkey knows who's on his shoulders. We have a God that is in charge of everything to the degree that the rocks would cry out and praise the Lord if we didn't do it. Paul said that creation itself is groaning for redemption. They're sick of the, the creation is sick of all this stuff too. But Jesus goes on to say, he says, he's given the same kind of language. Paul, he says, for it will come as a snare on all those who dwell and face the whole earth. Watch therefore, pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things. That's the only time we hear Jesus alluding to the rapture. He just gave us a spiel on the tribulation period. That's basically what he gave us here. What's coming down with Israel? What's coming down with the world? Plunged into this seven years of tribulation, as Daniel calls the time of Jacob's trouble. The days of all. It's all based on seven. God's prophetic things are all sevens. He loves the number seven. And he says, watch therefore and pray always. Always stay in a state of prayer. Pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things. The things he just told us. So the world's going to be plunged into great tribulation while we are caught up, those who are true believers. Now, Barna came out with a poll in the last six or eight months that said only 13% of Americans are what they call committed Christians. I'd say that's probably true. Didn't say everybody went to church, just said committed Christians. And then he goes on to say, he says, escape all these things that come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. That's what's going to happen. When the, church, the true believer meets the Lord in the air, like Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians, then we're going to the hoopah. The hoopah is the honeymoon chamber. When a Jewish bride and a Jewish groom were married, they spent seven days, or a, the word shabuah is the word for seven. So when you go to Daniel and you read the Hebrew word shabuah, we're probably not going to get in Hosea tonight, don't look like it. But when you read the word Shabuah, it means a period of seven. Hebrew is contextual. Do you know Hebrew didn't even have vowels when it was originally written? It's contextual. So you have to understand if they use the word Shabuah, as it means a period of seven. And contextually, you can understand whether he's talking about seven days, seven weeks, seven hours, seven months, seven years, whatever. So understand prophetically... And naturally, you cannot stay in the honeymoon chamber for seven years. Did anybody stay in the honeymoon chamber for seven years? You did. The honeymoon was over when the, the husband said, My mom didn't make it like that. <laughs> Honeymoon's over, right there. <laughs> Or when the wife says, my dad always took out the trash. 
Honeymoon's over, right? So, Shabuwa means a period of seven, and we'll talk about that this fall. So what happens? The bride of Christ gets called out, right? She meets the Lord in the air. She's going to Shabuwa to stand before the Lord while the world's getting plunged into great tribulation. She's sealed off with her groom. And I'll tell you, when I was finally sold that pre-trib was the right way. And I know there's been a lot of debate over that for years. And I, being a, uh, into prophecy as long as I have been, I had to be honest and open myself up to mid-tribbers and post-tribbers, which post-tribbers is really way out there. But you can understand where people could see a mid-trib rapture because they get Israel confused with the church. But I'll tell you what sealed me with this more than anything else was when God started showing me what Jacob did with Rachel and Leah. Rachel was his first choice. The Jews were God's first choice, right? But Jacob wound up going to the hoopah and guess who was in there? Leah. Now, can you imagine that? This is better than any movie. You go to the honeymoon chamber thinking Rachel's in there. I don't know, maybe it's dark. Light the candle next morning. And it's Leah. Of course, he earned it, right? I mean, he'd been a deceiver and he got it back to... But then what's the Bible say he did? He worked seven more years to get Rachel. The other one that sealed me in this are the types and shadows. Joseph took a Gentile bride before the seven years of famine. And then after that, he was restored to his brothers. That's Jesus. That's Yeshua. I feel that stuff. We are on the verge of awesomeness in this world. Amen? Jesus, there's, your Bible's built around two themes. Jesus is coming, and Jesus is coming. He's coming the first time to lay his life down. He's coming the second time to take us back with him. And this is why there was a dual concept in the Israel. Because you had the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And if you've done some homework on this, you know that Sadducees did not believe in a resurrection. You've heard the preachers say this over That's why they were sad, you see, because they didn't believe in a resurrection. And the Pharisees did believe in a resurrection. You remember Paul, he got right in the middle of them and used his Pharisee turn to get them on his side, even though they hated him. Because they was on the same page with that, right? So here's the thing. When Jesus, and you need to understand, this has been mispreached for years. When John the Baptist sent to Jesus and said, Are you the one, or should we look for another? He wasn't doubting that Jesus was the Messiah. He'd already proclaimed Him to be the Messiah to the whole world. 
He said, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Let me tell you what was going on. The whole culture had been influenced by the Sadducees. They had put things in people's minds. So the Sadducees had a dual concept of a Messiah. They saw one that had to suffer and die, but because you don't believe in a resurrection, then you need another Messiah. Because you know that Isaiah tells us that there's going to be a Messiah that suffers and die, but there's going to be a Messiah that also rules and reigns, right? So if you don't believe in a resurrection, you got to develop some kind of concept where you have two messiahs. And that's what happened. And so John the Baptist wouldn't say, hey, I don't think you're the Lamb of God. And Notice what Jesus said to him. Jesus didn't say anything about being the Lamb of God because he knew John already knew that. Is anybody feeling this besides me? And then he said, Jesus said, you go tell John that the blind see, the deaf hear, the dead are raised alive again. In other words, you go tell John the same Messiah that's going to die is going to rise from the dead and I am the one. Hallelujah. That's the good news of the gospel. It's going to get bad down here. It's already bad down here. God's tried to give us stuff to keep us out of the badness and to keep us above it. We got the good news with a reward. That's what the word means in Greek. Euglion, which is the word we translate gospel. It means good news with a reward. That's who God is. He's got a perfect plan. He's on our side. You're not leaving here till He's through with you. He's working in your life. He's working in my life. And nothing out there going on has got any fear in the Holy Spirit. So if the Holy Spirit's living inside of you and He's flooding your life, you don't have to live in fear. Do you think the Holy Spirit's afraid of what's going on out there? He's not afraid of any of that. And you think God can handle His business? He can handle His business. He's got a plan and it's going to come out just like He said it did. And the only way we can lose is be on the wrong side. As long as you're on following the Lord and on the right side, you win. I want to tell you God can get His business done. He sent one angel. I said one angel. I said one angel and killed 180,000 in one night. The army of America can't handle that. The army of Russia can't handle that. The army of China can't handle that. Your God is the one that's in charge of this world and he's going to make it come to pass just like he said. Hallelujah. We'll be in Hosea next week. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your long suffering. We thank you for your patience. I know you, you got across tonight what you wanted to say and I just pray, Lord, that we'll take to heart what you're speaking to us. And that we'll have this joy in our lives because we know the Messiah. We know the risen Savior. We know the plan. We don't know every detail, but we know the plan. We don't know the day nor the hour, but the Bible says we'll know the season. We're in that season. And we're thankful, Lord. We're so thankful as Gentiles that you're going to get stuck with Leah first. <laughs> we're thankful for that, Lord. We're thankful that you're going to bring us to be with you. We just love you. We honor you. Give us salt. Let us be salt. The fields are white unto harvest, but the laborers are few. The business that needs to be done is not inside these walls. It's outside, Lord, where they're lost and dying. We pray you'll give us the tongue of the learn. You'll give us a burden, and you'll season our message with the day we're living in. In Jesus' name, everybody say it.